Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, welcome back to Aussie Business Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Uh, great to have you as we kick off the Thursday afternoon, just gone midday, Australian Eastern Standard Time. And of course, that is time for the call where we analyse 10 stocks suggested by you and we put it to uh, two experts uh, to give you a bit of direction and guidance what to do. And uh, the expert panel today, delighted to welcome back Andrew Willett from DP Wealth Advisory, um, up in Toowoomba there. Andrew, how are you, sir? How's your week going? Koshi, on fire. Going really well, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, no, it's, uh, and Koshi, I'm really excited. Two Queensland companies today. Oh, two queer. I, I must admit, I haven't looked at the origin of those two companies, but I'm sure you're going to be bringing it to us. But also on our panel, uh, Rob Corlett from uh, Macro. Rob, good to see you, mate. Yeah, How are things? How's your week been? Yep, excellent, mate. Yep, okay. Um, what's it, what's the view of clients at the moment? How are they going in this sort of market? Yeah, pretty defensive at the moment. Uh, trying to build off as much cash as we possibly can. Uh, if you're going to be in the markets, being defensive names, uh, gold, um, consumer uh, staples, yeah. um, maybe the odd uh, negatively correlated ETF, but okay. uh, cash I've, is king at the moment. I've been asking all of our uh, panel this week, uh, what level of cash are you going to at the moment? 35 minimum. 35 minimum? 35%? Yeah, yeah. um, Andrew, are you advising clients to go defensive as well? Koshi, uh, the short answer is no. I, I guess we tend to take a, and a tip, sorry, first of all, it depends on what type of client we're talking about. If we're talking sure. a more active client, sure, absolutely. There's certainly plenty of noise coming at us. Obviously, uh, US presidential elections, uh, federal budget, just this historically uh, weak time of year anyway. So if yep. you're an active trader, something what Rob's saying, 35%, 100%. Right. Uh, we, on the other hand, though, tend to take a longer term view. We're sort of looking through that and the noise. So we generally tend to run about 12% cash, and then we overlay that with around 18 to 20% bonds or fixed interest-like exposure. So right. a defensive posture is normally 30%, but not cash, because cash is a terrible rate of return. Uh, but certainly for active clients, 100% on what Rob's saying. I understand that. Right. Okay. Well, uh, the average has been 30 to 35% uh, today for our experts. Uh, uh, the furthest out is 80%. Um, <laughs> so uh, David Novak was that on uh, on Monday, um, basically saying uh, the charts look horrible mm. at the moment. The uh, the charts for the Australian market, Rob, and the US market, yeah. he's saying just uh, look diabolical. Yeah, look, we've got two downside projections to about uh, five thousand five hundred and ten, right. and about uh, five thousand three hundred. So right. that's a good you know, four or five percent lower than where we are yeah. as a, as a first starting point. Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, some good advice already. We haven't even got into the stocks before we get into your 10. I always choose a stock of the day, something in the news. Well, Australia's oldest bank is paying Australia's biggest corporate fine uh, after Westpac this morning chose to settle the anti-money laundering case brought against it by the financial crimes regulator. $1.3 billion penalty way bigger than the 900 million provision the bank already put aside for Austrac. Um, but that, it seems, is the cost of, a, of admitting to 23 million suspect transactions, especially those that Austrac says should have been ringing child exploitation alarms. Westpac says it will make another provision for the full year ending September 30. But with third year, uh, third quarter cash earnings of 1.32 billion, the bank's balance sheet will be uh, far from broken. Um, Andrew, um, what do you think of uh, Westpac at the moment and, and a fine like this? Does it, does it dent your opinion of them? Oh, there's lots to unpack in that question, Koshi. Um, 
Yeah, look, I, I think at, at a higher level, it, they just needed to pay it, you know? Like, they were at 900, Austrac was at 1.4, they settled at 1.3. It's now done and dusted, so from a market point of view. And it's interesting to note that even though they're down about 1%, they Westpac are down about 1%, so are the rest of the banks. So, you know, right. they haven't fallen much more than the other banks. So I think the market's actually taking that as good news. Um, are they investable? Uh, no, I don't think so. And But I also say that pretty much for all the big four banks. You asked me this about six weeks ago and you yeah. had that look of shock on your face at the time going, are you serious? And I'm, yeah, I'm serious. And <laughs> certainly at, at, for the time being anyway, the share prices of all of them have uh, paid that out. I mean, you look at where CBA is as an example. Um, Macquarie is the only one that I'd be buying at the moment or at an absolute pinch that uh, bank ETF MVB. But certainly banks are under immense pressure that uh, those NIMs, those net interest margins, um, interest rates are going nowhere. If anything, potentially falling a little bit further. You've got one in five customers ghosting their banks on the $274 billion uh, that is currently on loan deferral at the moment. Uh, we have an anemic economy, so certainly you don't want to have, you definitely don't want to be overweight banks. Arguably, you probably want to be underweight banks. Okay. Uh, Rob? Yeah, if you're constructing a portfolio at the moment, you're definitely underweight banks. Um, the problem is that most portfolios have been overweight banks for many, many years. It's been the easy investment choice. Um, so if you're holding it, I don't know if there's too many people would be encouraging long-term investors to sell banks at these levels. Um, so, so in, in other words, you've you missed the boat down. Yeah, um, you might as well just hold it. Right. I think you're pretty comfortable over the next five years that um, the banks will you know, bottom out here and, and go back to where they are without too much pressure from all the e-banks that are coming online. Right. Um, I think as far as Westpac's performance today, Andrew kind of nailed it. It's is that fear of not knowing how big the fine was. And what they've done today is just like a band-aid. They've ripped it off. The market actually enjoys it. It's actually one of the strongest performing bank names. It's yeah. down only about half as much as what the market is today. Yeah. So, um, yeah, look, you know, yeah. don't don't okay. put banks in your portfolio. The other thing too on the margin side of things, I think uh, the market's expecting the RBA to cut interest rates down to 10 basis points when it next meets. So yeah. that net interest margin that uh, Andrew spoke about is just going to get even tougher okay. for the banks. All right. Let me challenge you both on that, uh, this though, saying, okay, if, you've, if you're in, in them, the you've gone through the worst, you may as well hold on, just bubbles along. But what's the opportunity cost? of keeping your money in the bank. Uh, why not, and it depends on your tax position, all that sort of stuff. So sure. you've got to get your right advice. You've got to go and talk to people like Andrew and Rob before you make the decision because it's it's very much tailored to you as an individual. Um, but the opportunity cost of using yeah. that money into better opportunities over the next four or five years. Yeah, look, this is exactly one of the kind of uh, talking points we're having with clients. And we've, we've come up with a strategy that we think will work for them. Basically, we're looking for clients who don't want to lose exposure to the banks because they're comfortable that over time, next three yeah. or four years, the banks will get back to where they were. We're actually looking for them to uh, potentially exit the bank uh, shares as a whole, but move into the instalment warrants to give you the same kind of movement. Right. Uh, there is an internal funding structure to the instalment warrant. Uh, I know Citibank costs about 5.2%. Uh, but then that frees up a whole heap of cash. You've got a lot of um, flexibility as to how much cash you pull mm -hmm. out of those investments. And then um, you know, you've got cash when the market ticks down as we think it will, then we can just slowly allocate that extra funds back into the market. We'd be looking to buy an ETF. I know Andrew loves ETFs. Yeah. Um, probably something like a GEAR, which is a beta fund ETF, uh, provides you about two and a half times the leverage return of the market. So oh. if we said between now and you know, three or four years from now, the market bounces from you know, just under 5,900 back up to um, 7,200. We're talking about 1,400 points. Um, the equivalent, so what that'd be about a 30% return. Um, this gear ETF would probably give you something that in the range of about 70% oh. return. Oh, okay. Um, Andrew, this yeah. opportunity cost of staying in banks, you know, saying, well, I've written that down. I'm too late. I might have just as well just hold on to them. Yeah, and it's an interesting strategy. Sorry, an errant fly just has come in here. Go away, fly. So that's the salute, isn't it, during summer? I, I need the, the cork hats and the uh, air gun. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting uh, strategy that Rob's got there and certainly one that uh, we used uh, in the GFC in particular and to great effect because, you know, obviously, you know, we went through a similar type of experience and under Rob's strategy, 
what you're in essence doing is you're not crystallising any of those losses, but you're freeing up some of that money and giving yourself some diversification. So, yeah, certainly I, I quite like his idea. I guess we were pretty lucky. Uh, two years ago, we started exiting the banks and we're sort of underweight to begin with. So, I, and, and I know that's... I mean, I'm talking about our clients to begin with. So we sort of, not that we saw a one in a hundred year health emergency coming, but you know, we were pretty fortunate in that regard. I think though, if you were in that position today, you're right, it's pretty hard to sort of say, well, let's sell my Westpac shares uh, or whatever the case may be and sort of crystallize that loss. But equally so, you know, you sort of say, we, we sort of look at total return and sort of saying, well, you know, if I put that, if I did crystallise that loss and put that money into something else, would I get a better total return growth and dividend over the next yeah. five years? So maybe it might be saying, well, if I'm, and I'm just picking numbers here, I've got 40% banks, maybe I should sell 10% of them and put it into something that's got a better total return. You know, maybe yeah. that's a strategy. But certainly yeah. Rob's, I think, is great. And as I said, we use that in the GFC to great effect. Yeah. yeah. As we said, this is just a discussion point, a yeah. guide for how to think about your portfolio in the market at the moment. And naturally, and that's why we love doing the call and having experts like Andrew and Rob on, because they're the types of people that you should go and talk to about it. Um, and, and that's what good advice is all about. It's probably your best investment. All right, uh, let's move on to uh, your stocks now, you've suggested. Um, Andrew, another Andrew, wants a view on baby bunting, the, uh, uh, the big baby, basically retailer, anything to do with babies, uh, baby bunting is in. Is, uh, they've ridden the, um, uh, the, the birth boom for the last couple of years. Wondering where you're going with that, Koshi. You did well to <laughs> save yourself there at the end. Well done. Uh, yeah, look, we uh, we don't mind baby bunting. It's a uh, it's a it's a great business. Um, it's it's a retailer, and I note one of the themes when we look at all the companies today. There's a pretty strong retailer theme coming through the ones from the uh, from the call from the viewers, but. It's arguably a defensive one, you know, because you've got your new child and you want your clothes and your strollers and your furniture and your cots, et cetera, et cetera. So it's got around 80 stores. It stocks around 6,000 lines. So certainly plenty to choose for for your new bub. I like the fact that the CEO and the chair have holdings in the millions of dollars. Uh, return on equity is about 17% and they're growing, they forecast to grow their profits by about 18%. The PE is a little demanding at 36 times, but if you look at the forecast earnings per share growth next year, it's about 48%. So uh, I think we're going to start off mm. with a buy, Koshi. Don't mind this. Okay. All right. At uh, around <coughs> that 450 mark, look at that five-year chart. It's certainly uh, gone gangbusters. Yeah. Uh, Rob, what do you think of Baby Bunting? I think you need to add it to the uh, Osby's portfolio. Oh, okay. The um, portfolio. Excellent. Look, it, it's a buy. We, we view it as defensive as well. Uh, it's actually been yeah. deemed as an essential service in Victoria, so it's still over there trading. Um, that being said, Victoria and New Zealand, which have probably been the most stringent on COVID controls, um, actually account for less than 20% of the revenue. So it didn't have much exposure really anyway, but it's good that they're, they're still open. Um, net cash, 13 million, no debt, strong balance sheet. Um, what we'd say is that competitive advantage it has, you know, it has all these stores. I think the maximum uh, comp or the competitors that they've got out there that are trying to price match, the, the maximum number of stores they have is four each. So they're just dominating the space. Yeah. Um, they've also done very well in keeping their staff happy, which is obviously very important during these times because yeah. that can cost you a lot on operational uh, redos later on. So what they've done is they've given everyone uh, two weeks paid leave. Uh, if you're full-time, you get a $250 credit card, uh, credit um, voucher. Uh, if you're part-time, you get a, a $200 wow. voucher. Um, you know, they're, they're doing a $1,000 employee share purchase plan as well. Um, so, yeah, they're really kind of trying to treat their employees uh, well so that they don't have to retrain when we get out of the code okay. environment. They're spending about half a million dollars uh, on the extra cleaning as well. So no expense being spared. So it sounds, sounds a really well-run business when you take into account what Andrew was saying about the chairman and chief executive having a stake in the millions, investing in staff, um, sort of ticks all the boxes for a well-run company, does it? Yeah, and look, the, the first six weeks of uh, this new financial year, like-for-like like sales are up 20%. So ah. um, people are still uh, okay. out there buying. And, <laughs> you know, what? This is what everyone's saying, you know, with the lockdown, what have people been doing during the lockdown? Yeah, yeah. So we could see a baby boom uh, come out uh, 
uh, early next year. All right, so uh, a tick from both Andrew and Rob on baby bunting. Now, <laughs> our second stock from Angelo <laughs> Rob goes to the other end of the scale. Yeah. Uh, Propel Funeral Partners. Talking about births, now we're talking about deaths. Yep. Uh, the company is the second largest provider of, they call it death care services in Australia yep. and New Zealand, operates around 130 locations. What do you think of Propel? Yep, so you're right. So Invercare is the largest here. It's worth about 1.4 billion market cap. This is slightly smaller, sitting at around about 275 million. Yeah. Um, revenue was good, it was up 16%. Uh, EBITDA was up 36%. Net profit was up 8%. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very highly fragmented industry, as you can imagine. Um, they've been working very hard to increase their market share. Uh, they've taken it up to 6.3%. So it's obviously come off a very low base. Yeah. At the same time, Invercare is actually starting to lose market share, losing nearly 2%. Um, that being said, um, this COVID environment has actually caused people to be more conscious about hygiene. Mm. And so there's actually been less deaths overall attributable to flus and flu symptoms. Right. So they're actually getting um, kind of less um, of a, there's less help out there. You naturally think, oh, COVID, they must, everyone's dying, it's very yeah, morbid, yeah. but uh, that would help them out. But it's actually not the case. That being said, uh, we are seeing a tick up in the revenue per funeral that they're doing, uh, yeah. even though we've got lots of restrictions on um, how many people can attend funerals and, yeah. and all those things. Obviously, their business has a very large cost, uh, a base cost that they can't avoid. And so, Ideally, when COVID is over and they can kind of have, you know, 200, 300 kind of people at a gathering, you'd expect their margins to go up significantly from where right. they are. Um, would we buy them right now? Probably not. Okay. Um, for us, um, if you're in it, it's done really well. Um, you'd continue to hold it. If yeah. you're looking to free up some cash, um, you could probably use this current share price as a place right. to lighten Tax it. Tax and profits. Yeah. Um, Andrew, what do you reckon of uh, Propel Funeral Partners? And I noticed this was before COVID. Was it Invercare was doing a, um, a capital raise to refurbish their funeral homes um, because they'd applied for liquor licences and things like that to sort of increase their margins by having the wake in a, a, a separate area. So they're getting quite creative with these things, aren't they? Yeah, um, we, we, as in when I work for Macquarie, we help float Invocare at about $2. And uh, I think it went to about 17 Does that sound about right, Rob? Something like that. Yep. Anyway, yep. Um, so, you know, I, I sort of uh, jokingly refer to it as the business everyone was dying to get into. <laughs> send, <coughs> send all your comments to Koshi. And, um, but having said that, as you said, that Invocare share price has been under pressure because in essence, Invocare is really in part a listed property trust because it actually mm -hmm. owns a number of the, the homes in which it sort of operates under it. As you just said, you know, they've had to tip in about 200 million to sort of bring them up to spec. Uh, and we've seen a number of the other REITs under some pressure as well. So if I, if I compare Propel to Invocare, um, they have sort of similar return on equity, uh, that number which I didn't write down, about 7%. But if you have a look at Propel's margins relative to Invocare's, that uh, one third better, and Invocare has negative earnings per share growth, whereas Propel actually has positive earnings per share growth. So, yeah. if if I was to look to today, and someone says, "Look, I really want exposure to the what do we call it, the death care industry," um, yeah. I'd actually buy Propel. I wouldn't actually buy yeah. Invocare. But to Rob's point relating to sort of where we are at the moment, between. Um, restrictions relating to the number of people who can attend, people's propensity to sort of be spending bigger sums of money relating to funerals and so forth, I too would sort of struggle to buy it at these levels. Noting consensus is about $3.20 odd, so we're about 10, 12% below consensus. Uh, I, I don't think we're a buy because of right. the, the, the macro picture at this stage. Okay, all right. There you go, Angelo. Uh, appreciate that suggestion. Um, Andrew Peter wants a view on Charter Hall Group, the the big property managers, they have a whole series of, of uh, property investment trusts, don't they, and, and manage it. Yeah, smart guys and girls. Um, they yeah. sort of clip the ticket all, all the way. So what I mean by that is they might identify a greenfields area, so they'll buy that, and then they'll on-sell it to one of their development fund, 
collect the ticket or construction fund rather and they'll build it and then they on sell it to one of their uh, wholesale funds clip the ticket they'll then on sell that to one of their retail funds <laughs> clip the ticket um, and th their job is to basically make it really easy for the end unit holder so there's one that uh, we've been involved in uh, charter hall diversified industrial so what they do is they have people like wes farmers coles australia post they buy their distribution centers build it for them go to them you don't know you have this problem but we're going to create show you this problem and uh, sign them up for long-term leases take a one percent management fee and as a unit holder you're getting your six seven eights or whatever the, the return is at the time so and that's just one part of it you know because they're involved in uh, office residential uh, res uh, construction uh, sorry try again office retail residential and industrial so they've got it all sort of covered off it's got a very strong return on equity around 13% compared to the rest of its listed peers, which is around 7%. So we quite like Charter Hall. Uh, we don't mind Goodman either. Goodman has more of an industrial focus and we think industrial is probably out of all the, all the REIT spaces, that's probably where you want to be. But as a good all-rounder, yeah, we don't mind uh, Charter Hall at all. Okay, so Charter Hall is the management group here. It's not in a uh, we're talking about here. It's not not a specific REIT itself. It's the parent. It, it runs them. Yeah. So it's it's sort of you know yeah. remember back in the good old days of Macquarie and there was yeah. all the little satellites underneath it. Macquarie standing yeah. there sort of taking the fees. Yeah. That's what's going on here. Okay. All right. So you like Charter Hall at this level, Rob? What about you? Yeah, we, we could accumulate it for sure. Uh, as Andrew said, we also like uh, Goodman Group. In fact, Goodman Group's yeah. our, our number one choice in the space. Uh, for exactly what Andrew said, it's got the industrial logistics, which is where we see, um, you know, all these, uh, even the physical footprint stores moving online. They need to have these warehouses to store so they can have the distribution centres. Yep. So uh, Goodman Group is our first um, choice in the space. We, we've, we've given it out to clients a few times. Um, but uh, look, if you're looking to add a second name to get that kind of exposure uh, to the REITs, then yeah, Charter Hall is definitely something you can accumulate and add to your portfolio. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you for that, Peter. Good analysis by, uh, by Rob and Andrew there. Uh, Lena, Rob wants a view on people infrastructure. Now, this is basically an HR payroll uh, administration uh, platform, isn't it? That mm. uh, companies outsource their their HR and uh, payroll to it, mainly operate in a couple of sectors, health and community care, IT and um, and also general staffing. Mm. So, so look, that's been the saving grace for the company. Uh, yeah. You know, the two sectors that have performed the best during COVID have been IT and healthcare. Yeah. And uh, those two sectors account for about 73% of revenues for the company. Wow. So 51% from healthcare, 22% from IT. Uh, because of that exposure, their revenues were up 33%. Uh, EBITDA was up 68%. Net profits were up 69%. They even increased their dividends 112%. So... Um, yeah, we, we like the company. Um, we like what they're doing. Uh, they are dependent on um, acquisitions as well. Uh, they've recently made two acquisitions in healthcare, one more in, in uh, the tech space. Uh, strong cash position, about $10 million. Uh, there is, however, a $5.9 million uh, GST payment that's been deferred. Right. So it's not as strong as $10 million. They do have to pay that at some stage. Um, but yeah, look, we, we could comfortably get involved in this company. Um, yeah, just uh, again, just be mindful that our broader view on the market is that uh, we're going to have some, some kind of uh, softening. And so just be careful what price you're paying for anything that you're looking to buy into. Right, okay. So at this price you're... Yeah, we, we'd buy it. You okay. might get a slightly better price um, in the next six weeks potentially, yep. but no, no problems buying this for the long term. Okay. Andrew? Queensland Company, thanks very much. Uh, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, no, everything that, uh, that Rob spoke about. Um, I like the fact that they've got three and a half thousand clients. Uh, average tenure of a client is around eight years. So that speaks a lot mm. relating to their sort of longer term relationships. Uh, if you look at sort of their top 20 customers, the average length that their business has been operating is 50 years. So really solid longer term businesses and as Rob absolutely nailed, that focus on health and IT has sort of saved yeah. them relative to some of their other peers. Um, 
I like the fact that the CEO owns about 8% of the company and the chair owns 4% of the company. In fact, if you look at across the whole business, staff entirely own 17% of this business. So again, their interests are aligned with yours. So I quite like that. And, and finally, a P of 19 times relative to forecast earnings growth of about 44%. Uh, remember that our friend, the peg ratio, where you're trying to buy a PE multiple that has at least earnings per share equal to, if not greater. So in a P of 19, you'd be looking for at least 19% earnings growth. This is nearly double that. It is double that. There we go. I'm good with numbers. So yeah, I'm quite comfortable <laughs> buying this one too. Okay. Um, Thank you for that, uh, Lena, for uh, putting that through. It's a, a good, solid company that doesn't get much attention by the look of it, but delivers, delivers for its shareholders and uh, its major stakeholders, the chief executive and chair, uh, have a lot of skin in the game. So it ticks a lot of boxes there. Appreciate you bringing it to our attention. Um, Andrew Rachel uh, wants a view on Worley, uh, the big global engineering company. Um, uh, sort of in the in the energy, chemical and resources sector. Uh, been around a long time, the old Worley Parsons, isn't it? Yeah, uh, way, way, way back. Um, I think it's another one we floated and the share price from memory got into like the 30 or $40 mark and, you know, here we are today at around the 10s. Um, I guess just to briefly set the picture, if we consider what was the worst performing GICS sector, the worst performing sector in the ASX last year, uh, that was actually energy, energy down about 36% for the year. So certainly the space in which they're operating in is not a good one financially. If you also consider there's certainly a big push towards renewables and you know what's termed stranded assets. So in other words, people are backing away from fossil fuels. I note as an example overnight, California's mandated that there'll be no more gas-powered um, cars, or sorry, not gas, um, uh, fuel-powered cars uh, sold in California by 2035. There's certainly a lot of pressure in that energy space. So that's the, that's the environment in which they're operating in. Um, if you have a look, the shares themselves are down about five, are down 5% over the last three years. Um, I mean, they employ 56,000 people. It's certainly mm. quite a big concern. I mean, the That's company huge. itself is about $4.6 billion. Only about 20% of that revenue comes from oil and gas, so it's certainly not as bad. They get about 37% mm. from chemicals, so they, they are diversifying away from that oil and gas piece, but you can see why they should be. Yep. The PE 12 times is undemanding, but they're just disappointed all the way through. I'm out. I'm sorry. I can't do this. Okay. All right, Rob? I thought I was going to disappoint Andrew there, uh, <laughs> but I'm glad we're actually on the same page with this one. Um, so look, the, the headline numbers seem good. Uh, revenue was up 88%, EBITDA 100%, net profit up 12%. Um, but the space that they're in is it's just not where we would want to be. In fact, uh, at the moment, it's push, the price is pushing the 200-day moving average, and, and we're very cognizant. Well, on, on the up On the chart. So it's coming from underneath. Yep. And so we view the 200-day moving average as an institutional buy-sell line. And so as you get closer to that line, particularly from the underside, the risk-reward gets uh, skewed uh, against you. Um, it, it takes a lot for prices to break through th those levels. We would much rather uh, exit Wally Parsons, as we have been doing for clients, around these numbers. Uh, and then if there's a, a sentiment change towards, towards the industry and institutions get behind it, um, sure, you can actually buy this at a lot higher prices and still make some very good money. As you can see there from the chart, we're off uh, quite away from where we were pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, if you don't do that uh, and you continue to hold it, um, as Andrew said, it's been the worst performing sector. We're thinking the market in general is going to soften. Typically, the worst sectors get beaten up the, the worst when, when there's a yeah. second wave. Um, and this stock could come off an easy you know, 30 40%. I think it's up about 100% since the bottom of COVID already. Right. So, yeah, we're definitely not wanting to be in Worley Parsons. We're, we're selling it if you've got it. This is a great level to actually get out of Worley Parsons just okay. to really reduce that risk to your portfolio. Okay. All right. There you go, Rachel. Uh, good analysis there. Let's re uh, recap the first five stocks plus our stock of the day, uh, Westpac. Neither um, Andrew or Rob would be involved in Westpac at the moment. Uh, Baby Bunting, um, a yes from both Rob and Andrew. Um, Well-run company, um, got an executive team that's really got big stake in the group. Propel Funerals, no. Uh, Charter Hall, a yes from both Andrew and Rob, but uh, in that sector, 
Uh, Rob pr would prefer Goodman um, if there was an alternative, but Charter Hall, if you wanted a, a second stock in that sector, is, is a very good one. Uh, people infrastructure, a yes from both Andrew and Rob and a no from Wally Parsons. Now, here on the call, as Andrew and Rob have been mentioning, we have our own portfolio. Whenever a stock gets a unanimous thumbs up from both our experts, we put it in our portfolio. Let's see how we're going. And over the week, we're down one and a third percent, basically line ball for the month. And uh, since the 1st of July, when we started this portfolio, um, it was, we're up nine and a half percent. Look at some of the stocks that have been added recently. Uh, BHP, Iris, Thorny Technologies, Eagles Automotive and AVA Risk Group. And um, you can check out all the stocks we have in the portfolio. Head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. We'll be updating it every day here on the call. Uh, coming up in the next hour, we're joined by Lau Ken Wei from iCandy Interactive. Uh, the company has just completed a $1.2 million raise and is planning to expand into China, courtesy of a partnership with Alibaba. In fact, it was a stock that we looked at earlier in the week here on, um, on the call. All right, let's go uh, to the second half of the call and um, uh, Harry, um, Andrew wants a view on Coles Group, the supermarket giant that um, did all right in the early days of the lockdown. Yeah, it did pretty well. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, if you think about how the business was running and when Wes Farmers came along, it wasn't in a happy little space. And yep. uh, nearly actually brought Wes Farmers down on the timing of the acquisition, of course, post GFC. I think Boa had to sell some more shares at $13, Wes Farmers, to help refinance that. So it was certainly a, uh, an interesting time for Wes Farmers. They've certainly turned that business around, though. 88% um, of revenue for Coles comes from supermarkets, about 9% from liquor, and uh, the, the, the express business is about 3%, but it's growing. Uh, online sales go going gangbusters, but you know, no great surprise considering what's going on with COVID. And online sales now make up about 6% of the business there. Uh, really defensive, you know, so if you, if you ascribe to Rob's and, and my view that the next six weeks are going to be a little bit tricky and you're trying to sort of build a portfolio and you're looking for those defensive names, then Coles probably should be up there with it. Normally you could have said Woolies, but based on some of the numbers I'm about to give you, maybe not so much. Um, the, uh, the return on equity for Coles is actually really good. It's about 31%. Um, if you compare and contrast that to Woolies, wow. Woolies is only 16%. So, you know, it's basically got double the uh, return on equity of, uh, of Woolies, which is really strong. Uh, profit margin's about the same at around 2.5%. Interestingly, though, on a PE basis, Coles is around 24 times relative to Woolies at 29 times. So you're basically paying 20% more for Woolies for a business that's only delivering half the return on equity. Uh, and you've actually Go got... Go figure that uh, out. Why? Oh... Uh, I, I think it's partly because Woolies, for well, call it decades, really was the gold standard, and then uh, the uh, the Masters debacle really was a company detransformational event for Woolies, if I can put it that way. You know, they burnt around 4.2 billion dollars worth of shareholders' money uh, by that failed uh, hardware sort of venture. So. Yeah, I, uh, I think there's probably a fair bit of inertia there that people sort of view Woolies as being more defensive, but certainly just looking at the numbers uh, from a financial point of view, Wes Farmers, again, very strong financial managers have really put that discipline, uh, that rigour into Coles, and you're seeing it come through on the financial numbers. Consensus is about 1989 versus sort of the current share price. So I, I guess what I'm saying is as a longer term portfolio buy, it's fine. If you're trying to sort of bulletproof yourself, if that's possible over the next six weeks ago, it's fine. It's probably not one that I'd be buying, you know, because it's got a, let, a lot of get up and go about it. But in the context of its defensive nature and the financial side, it, I'd be comfortable owning these. Okay. All right. So, so a no from you, except if you want a defensive stock. Correct. So if, right. if we're wearing our three to five year hats, I'm out. Uh, right. as, as Rob says, I'm probably more the boring ETF guy. But if we're looking for short-term active, oh, bother, the share market's going to fall 30 40%. Yeah. Maybe not that much, 10 
um, then certainly Coles will not come up as much because it's got that defensive overlay, plus okay. the dividends okay as well. All right, Rob? Yeah, um, I'm going to leave it up to you as to whether you take this into the portfolio or not, because it's a buy from our perspective. Right. Um, we've seen revenue, EBITDA and NPAT all in mid to high single digit uh, returns. Uh, it's definitely preferred uh, investment in that space over Woolworths. Yeah. Um, what's really exciting for us about Coles is there's a lot of technology that can actually be integrated and is coming through into this space. Um, there's a, a great uh, online company in the UK called Ocado, and they're basically using artificial intelligence, machine learning uh, to integrate into their distribution centres. So, uh, Woolworths have recently, sorry, Coles have recently uh, spent somewhere in the range of 130 to 150 million dollars uh, to get hold of this technology, uh, which they're looking to increase sales for about half a billion to three quarters of a billion dollars. And what it is is, is a, so imagine a warehouse. Uh, and every product that you would sell is in this warehouse. And they're all in bins. And then on the top of that, there are these little robots that look like, again, other bins. And they basically travel over the top, they'll reach down, they pick up the product, uh, and then they'll go and deliver it to the end uh, where it gets packaged and put into for the delivery, for all the right. online stuff. Right. Um, the technology uh, allows for uh, ordering online, ordering through an app, voice ordering. Uh, these bots travel at four mm. meters per second. Uh, and the Ocado smart platform are also um, trialing the driverless electric vehicle self-delivery system. That's already, already happening over in the UK. Right. Um, these vehicles can travel up to 50 kilometers without a recharge. They can travel at 40 kilometers an hour uh, and they can carry 128 uh, kilograms worth of food and groceries. Um, and, and what that does is it really takes out what we call the last mile. So in an operation like Coles and Woolworths, that last mile of delivery is considered to be about 53% of your entire um, costs. Right, yeah, so yeah. if they can kind of take that out of the, the equation, um, that's a huge win. It's great tech, isn't it? Look, it, it's, yeah. it's what's going to make them be able to compete against some of these European giants who were coming out. Yeah. You know, many, many years, 10 years ago, uh, people viewed Coles and Woolworths as generation stocks. You'd yeah. buy them, you'd put in your portfolio, and they're for the grandkids. Yeah. That's not the case anymore. Um, you know, I think that after COVID, after Europe's um, kind of shored themselves up, I think those giants are going to come out here right. again. And it wouldn't surprise me in like 15 years' time, maybe we don't have both Coles and Woolworths. Maybe you only yeah. have one of the two. Um, I think this technology is going to allow Coles to actually compete on an equal footing with these giants when okay. they come out there. So, um, yeah, look, uh, it's a defensive name. Uh, we, we held it before. Um, we sold it just before it reported, just to take that risk off the table. Obviously, we've seen a nice retracement. We'd be comfortable buys again okay. in stock. All right. Um, look, uh, I'm going to make a captain's call. Andrew, with your permission, stick it in the portfolio. Um, as a almost um, a message to investors. You've got to have these stocks in your portfolio, don't you? If you look at an um, investment portfolio, you've got to have, have a certain percentage of defensive stocks in there. Yeah, and I mean, and that's great. Again, Rob, coming to the fore with all the research as we've seen when he's talked previously about lithium and, and you know, obviously all over the, the robot spa the space as well. Um, so yeah, look, I'd be, I'd be very comfortable having it in there, not only on that short-term defensive basis, but as you're saying, if you're constructing a portfolio, you want to have some uh, yeah. ones that will hold its value, okay. and certainly you would expect Coles to do that. Great. All right. Um, let's kick on now. Luke wants a view, um, Rob, on Pensana Metals, a rare earth minerals explorer with a, a project in Angola. That's <laughs> exotic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, look, it, it, look, this one's probably in the right space. Uh, the share price has done amazingly well. Um, that being said, it's too early for us to get involved in it. Uh, when, when we're looking at these small companies, it's really important to look at their cash burn. Um, and so that's an Appendix 3B if people want to look it up on the ASX website. Um, so at the moment, their cash burn for operating activities is about 1.6 million a quarter. They've only got 6 million cash at bank. Right. So in a year's time, they're out of cash. So they're going to have to raise more capital. 
that's gonna be dilutionary to the share price. So if you're in it, I'd take this price as an opportunity to actually lighten and get out of it. Yeah. If I'm looking to get into the space, I'm gonna wait until after that capital raising is done. Um, the other thing to note on this is that on that Appendix 3B they put forward, of the $1.6 million they were burning in cash, only $12,000 was assigned to actual exploration and evaluation. Um, wow. There was 762000 for staffing costs. Oh, um, okay. Now, I'm not sure if it's an accounting process they've used, but if you look deeper into the investing side of things, then there is a cash burn there of about $1.4 million. So where they're saying, look, we don't own the asset, we're just exploring an investment, and therefore we're going to cause that to be... Uh, put it under that heading. Right. Um, but either way, either they're, if you did on that basis, then they're actually burning closer to three million a quarter, oh. which means they have to raise money by the end of the year. Okay. So we, we wouldn't buy it, um, but if you're in it, congratulations okay. to tip some out. Yep, take some profits. Yep. Uh, Andrew Pensana. I think Rob's been looking at my notes today, mate. Do we need to chat <laughs> about this afterwards? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I picked up exactly the same thing. My comment was just under two quarters of cash to hand, is there a capital raising coming? So certainly, and again, that 3B on the ASX uh, announcements can really just, it, and there's even a section, I can't remember the number, Rob, but it actually even has in bold how many quarters of cash left. You know, you can just quick, easily right. see as to uh, what's the likelihood of a capital raising? I might add they've got that uh, arrangement with uh, China Great Wall Industries. That name just rings off, the, runs off the tongue, doesn't it? Uh, relating to construction and financing. So whether that takes a little bit of pressure off, but at the end of the day, the share price has just gone bananas. I mean, what did we see there just before? Up four thousand to eight hundred percent. I mean, that's just a cracker. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I couldn't invest in this at the moment. I'm sorry, yep. there's just too many okay. moving parts. And if you've struck it lucky and ridden it up, take some profits. Um, Andrew, AJ wants a view on City Chic Collective, the uh, the women's apparel brand uh, company with uh, fashions across Australia, New Zealand, USA, uh, South Africa, 104 stores across Australia and New Zealand. A really interesting business, Koshi, and one that I hadn't been paying a lot of attention to. I sort of last had a good look at it when it was specialty fashion retail, a uh, specialty fashion group. And that's, you know, when they had Millers and they had uh, Rivers and they had uh, Katie's, etc. Um, and they've basically gone and divested themselves of all that. And they're now around two thirds of their business is now actually online. They've got around 600 odd thousand active clients. They've picked up nearly 300 or well, 278,000 to be precise new clients over the last 12 months. They're sort of targeting the 18 to 35 year old space and they're using sort of mid to high pricing, uh, either online or with partnerships. Uh, strong return on equity, about 18%, 31% earnings growth. Margins under a little bit of pressure due to COVID. The PE is sort of in nosebleed territory at 64 times, but we've got forecast earnings per share growth next year of around 89%. So mm. I actually think again, from a defensive nature, albeit I don't like retailers, they're executing really well on this online thing. So um, I reckon they're probably a buy. Okay, Rob? Um, yeah, look, it's not our preferred sector. I understand it's in the uh, Osby's portfolio at the moment. We'd actually prefer another name that's in the Osby's right. portfolio, which is Super Retail. Right. Um, look, the company has done well. Uh, revenue was up 30%, EBITDA 27%. Obviously, COVID has hit them. Um, the, the big negative that they're having to overcome at the moment is they're unsuccessful uh, for a bid for a company called Catherine's, which is um, works it's a US business. Um, I think they'd bid... The winning bid was about $40 million. That's a plus size uh, women's clothing business yep. as well. Um, people thought they were gonna win that. It was gonna be accretive to earnings. It's not. Um, I think, as Andrew said, you know, that, that price earnings multiple is basically double what the industry, uh, what that sector is. Uh, so the market's expecting them to go out there, make acquisitions and to um, turn the business into something a lot larger. Um, we couldn't actually go out there and buy it at the moment. Yep. If you're in it, fantastic, keep holding it. Um, but we'd much prefer p uh, clients to do a rotation if they had it uh, into Super Retail if they didn't own that one. Right, okay. Uh, super Retail, similar space though, is it? It's, not it's discretionary, it's not the right. clothing. So no. Super Retail do um, Super Cheap Auto, yeah, it's um, the car Rebels, yeah, yeah. 
uh, Rebel Sports, Sports etc. Yep. So that's kind of set up to succeed both during and post COVID um, with yep. you know where you take holidays mm. and how you kind of try and get fit during COVID. So yep. um, not exactly the same, but there's not really much in this space that uh, would be a direct comp- sure. comparable. Okay. And All right, sorry, uh, Koshy, so the, sorry, sorry, Koshy, the, the PE on uh, super cheap is only 15 times, so slightly less. Mm. A quarter. Yeah. So, <laughs> yep. And a Queensland company, so yep. All right, okay. See, his, his eyes were sparkling when he talked about yeah. it, Rob. I gave him a that? layup. How yeah. <laughs> exactly. You owe him mine, Andrew. Um, now, Rob, Cyrus wants a viewer mastermind group. I must admit, I hadn't heard of this uh, company until I looked into it. It's in. It's another mining services company, so you could say a, more, a smaller version of maybe Wally, I don't know, but uh, specialising in the coal mining industry. Um, what do you think of Mastermind? Yeah, so uh, the company's actually been doing quite well. Uh, revenue was up 29%, EBITDA was up 44%, NPAT was up 11%, and uh, dividend actually doubled their dividend. Um, so that was pretty good. Um, look, they're actually in the business of trying to find the metallurgical coal as opposed to thermal coal, thermal coal yeah. um, so you know, it's a higher quality, um, less less um, uh, kind of water, you know, um, in it. Um, look, it's probably not where we want to be at the moment. Uh, we prefer clients move into something like a McMahon Holdings if you want it to be in there. Uh, McMahon, McMahon Holdings is a little bit more diversified, 49% uh, exposure to gold. 35% copper, so if you're making that long play and you're thinking the global economy will yeah. eventually recover, you want to be in copper. Um, and then only 8% exposure to the metallurgical uh, coal mines. So um, yeah, wouldn't be where we are at the moment, but um, yeah, so we, we, we couldn't um, okay. do anything with that. Uh, Andrew, what do you think of Mastermind? Yeah, um, interesting business, really small business. 84 million bucks market cap. So I've actually put here, is it a bit of a crab pot? So what I mean by that is there's only about $49,000 a day of shares that are traded. So, you know, somewhat easy to get into, but pretty difficult to get out of, Queensland company. Um, (laughs) I I like the fact that they've got the 20 million cash on hand. I like the fact their order book is 600 um, million, but I, yeah, I just, no, I can't, I can't do it. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm betraying my own friends, but on this particular one, I, I can't do this one either. <laughs> okay, all right, that's fair enough. Um, thank you for the suggestion, Cyrus. Andrew, what about Pinnacle Investment Management, uh, the big fund management group? Yeah, an, an interesting little business in the model, because if you think about Macquarie, you know, Macquarie's Macquarie. Yeah. Uh, Pinnacle actually have sort of almost what they call um, affiliates, under their sort of banner. There's about 15 of them. So people like Hyperion, um, Plato, Antipodes, Metrics. So these are these are names that are quite well known. And the, the people in, or the, the groups, 90% of them have actually outperformed their benchmarks over the last five years. So Pinnacle sort of really is providing them with support, with distribution, with marketing. These affiliates have got funds under management thumb of about $59 billion and it's been growing by about 20% per annum over the last five years. They've also got some retail thumb of about $13 billion. So it's quite a, quite a big business. They get around 10% of their fees from performance fees, and which is nice, but you don't want that to be too high because if that's too high and then the market has a shocker, then you become over-reliant on these performance fees. Uh, the, the MD's got about 16% of the company, um, profit margin of 54%, which is great, and a PE of 27 times. have to say, though, again, I know I seem to keep on banging on about Magellan, but I look at Magellan. Um, so the ROE, the return on equity of Pinnacle is 17%, which is not shabby at all. But with uh, Magellan, it's a 48% return on equity, a 62% profit margin, and a PE of 23. So again, if I compare the Pinnacle numbers, Pinnacle is an ROE of 17, profit margin of 54, and a P of 27. So on a financial basis, you'd still do Magellan, but not a, not a bad little business at all, Pinnacle, but I'd prefer Magellan. Okay. okay. Rob? Yeah, totally agree. Uh, it doesn't seem to be a bad business at all. Revenue's up 6%, EBITDA 24%, net profit was up 5%. Um, 
we would prefer Magellan as well. Um, one of the things that kind of uh, was interesting to note is if you look at the last 12 months and where market uh, consensus um, target prices have been for this stock, the shares have never actually traded above that. And so what that tells us is that institutions are probably a little bit hesitant to make the big call at the moment on them. They're less than a billion dollars. They're not a huge company yep. in this space. Um, you know, if the share price gets back up towards that six, 620, uh, we'd probably use that as an opportunity to lighten. Um, much prefer clients to be in something like Magellan though. Okay, yep. all right. So Magellan gets, uh, is the, the preferred one there. Um, thank you for uh, suggesting that though. Let's just recap the uh, final five stocks. Uh, Coles, uh, yes, as a defensive play in your portfolio in these uncertain times. Uh, Pensana Metals, a no. Uh, City Chic, a yes from Andrew, a no from Rob. And because it's already in the core portfolio, the fact that it's come up again and hasn't had the unanimous tick, it goes out of the portfolio. And why do we do that? Um, because you've got to have constant opinions and uh, markets change and prices change and that affects the way that you view different investments. Uh, Mastermind, a no, and Pinnacle Investment, a no. Uh, both Andrew and Rob would uh, much prefer Magellan uh, in that space if you need it. Andrew Whelan from DP Wealth Advisory in Toowoomba. Uh, great to see you, mate. David Kosh, Ausbiz, always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, and uh, Rob Corlett from uh, Macro, uh, great to have you as well. And uh, um, you have a lot of information on, on your website as well. We don't do. You, for, for investors. Um, yep, yep. So you want to go macro.com.au if I can be so bold. Excellent. Uh, M-A-Q-R-O. If you want to uh, some su suggest some stocks for us to look at and put to our panels, you can email the call at, at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at osbiztv handle. Uh, reminder to find all of the call stocks we have in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And uh, today we've added Baby Bunting, uh, Charter Hall, uh, people infrastructure and coals to the portfolio. So if you want to see the whole portfolio, you can uh, go there and see it. Just a look before we head to a, a short break, if you want a, a wrap up of the day in business, finance, market, startups, you should be subscribing to the COB, Close of Business. You can subscribe at osbiz.co slash join and Scuddy and Nadine will have all of the information from the day summarised for you and delivered into your inbox by 5.30pm Eastern, Monday to Friday. And don't forget the Startup Daily Show is up between um, 2 and 3pm every day. Um, they look at all of the private companies, startups, scale-ups, looking to raise capital. Uh, they talk to a lot of venture capitalists as well. Uh, today, their special guest amongst many is Andrew Arkib from Maslow which has built out a voice-enabled rehabilitation assistant for young people living with spinal injury. So it's a really fascinating business, that one. Um, and that is coming up on Startup Daily. So as you can see, Ausbiz never sleeps. There is uh, a lot happening this afternoon. Stick around, but until the call tomorrow, have a great afternoon.